What's good, y'all? We here at Code Switch are working on something extra special. We'll tell you more about that later. But we need your help. We want to answer your questions about the city of Chicago that, you know, of course, have something to do with race and identity. So if you've got a question that has been bugging you about the city of broad shoulders, the Windy City, the Second City, there's a lot of nicknames for Chicago, email us at codeswitch at npr.org with the subject line, Chicago. All right, y'all. On to the show. I'm Gene Demby. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. And this is Code Switch. From NPR. So, KGB, student hey. debt relief. <laughs> it's been in the news a lot the last couple of weeks. Yep. I don't know about you, but, you know, this is like a big deal in my circle because I only recently paid off my student loans. My wife is still paying off hers. But, mm. yeah, it's just been a thing that we've been talking about a lot in my circle for the last couple of years. Yeah, and you know, Gene, I was lucky. I didn't have a whole lot of college debt because mm-hmm. I had a partial scholarship to school, and I also did something okay. called work study, so I had a bunch of little jobs that helped pay for my tuition. Mm-hmm. And my parents had saved up using the credit union they belonged to. But also, and this is really important, way back in the day when I went to college, which mm-hmm. is way before when you went to college, <laughs> really, school costs, my school all schools cost a lot less than they do now. Yeah, and because the cost is so bananas and the payback is even more bananas, some people have been weighing whether college is like the right economic choice, whether it makes financial sense to spend money on college. Like people have been talking about just how much they've been paying for decades and just only hitting the interest, not even hitting the principal of these student loans. So it's this albatross around people's necks. Actually, here's Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona talking to our colleague, Mary Louise Kelly, on All Things Considered recently. For far too long, higher education has been out of reach for extremely intelligent youth who just feel like I can't get into this or I can't put my family through this debt. Yes, Secretary Cardona says the Biden administration is very aware that different communities have different experiences with college debt because of the wealth gap created by systemic inequities. So Biden's loan forgiveness program goes up to $10,000 for many, most of whom earn $75,000 a year or less, and twice that if students ever received something called a Pell Grant. Black Americans are two times more likely to be Pell recipients. So, you know, they're more eligible now for the... uh, $20,000 versus the $10,000. And we know that one out of every four Black Americans will receive total debt cancellation after today's announcement. But that's not good enough because we have a broken system. The Education Secretary just mentioned Pell Grants as part of this student loan forgiveness process. I was a Pell Grant recipient myself. But KGB, since we're about to be talking about Pell Grants for this whole episode, we should probably give an explanatory comma for what Pell Grants are. We probably should. So... A Pell Grant is designed to help low- and lower-middle-income families pay for college. It is a grant, not a loan, so they don't have to repay Pell money. And unlike other financial assistance, which is sent to the school for the school to distribute, the Pell goes directly to the student. So, Jane, with your Pell money, you decided, or maybe your mom, how to spend it. Maybe you paid for your books or the school's meal plan. Or if you lived far away, that money might pay to get you home during semester break. Absolutely. It was meal plan and books. Yep. So Pell Grants are designed to help the people who might have the hardest times paying for college. Right. And that made a critical difference to Michael Nelson, who remembers his excitement upon learning he'd been awarded a Pell Grant. I saw that my financial aid letter had been made available. You know, I had a mix of financial aid and scholarships and the Pell Grant. 
Michael lives in Washington, D.C., and he grew up in a single-family household, just him and his mom. His mom prioritized his education even when she didn't really have resources to do that, and they often didn't have the resources to do a lot. He remembers seeing his mother cry twice when he was applying to college. The first time was when she had to admit just how little money they had when filling out the free application for federal student aid. It's usually called the FAFSA form. And the second time was when he told her how much financial aid he was going to get. And so when I went home, I, you know, I showed my mom and she read it and immediately just started jumping up and down. And both of us just like, kind of burst into tears because it was this huge sense of relief. Now, Michael got $6,000 from the Pell Grant. That's the biggest amount you could receive from the Pell in 2012 when Michael went to Hamilton College in New York. Mm-hmm. Given total tuition, $6,000 might not sound like a lot, but for Michael... That $6,000 meant money wouldn't be the thing keeping him from going back each semester to finish his degree. And Michael isn't alone in this either. This past June marked the 50th anniversary of the Pell Grant. And since it was created in 1972, over 80 million American students have gotten some amount of that grant assistance, including our own Taylor Jennings Brown. Taylor is a young journalist who has been working with us on Code Switch for a few months. She's part of NPR's Croc Fellowship Program. What's good with you, Taylor? Hey, y'all. How are you guys? Good. Taylor, can you share a little bit of your Pell experience? Yeah, so I'm from Durham, North Carolina, but I went to the mm-hmm. University of South Carolina. Go Gamecocks. And <laughs> as you can imagine, out-of-state tuition was not the cheapest. Right. Thankfully, my dad helped a lot with that cost, but I still racked up quite a bit in student loans, 27000 to be exact. Um, I got Pell Grants every semester. And to be honest, I didn't really know what they were at the time, but mm-hmm. I didn't know I didn't have to pay them back. So the higher the amount, the better my loan payments would be after graduation. Absolutely. I hear that. And that reminds me, just because someone like Michael gets a great financial aid package doesn't mean it's all, quote unquote, free money. It usually includes loans that you have to pay back, along with any grants like the Pell Grant that you never have to repay. A grant like that is a gift from the financial aid fairies. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an amazing help, given some of the horror stories we've heard about with people struggling to repay their college loans. Yeah, for sure, Karen. And what's cool about the Pell Grant is the type of student it helps. Usually when you think of college students, it's late teens, fresh out of Mm -hmm. high school, just Mm -hmm. left home for the first time. But the Pell reaches way more than that. Actually, most of the people who get Pell Grants are furthest from that description. Many are older adults, mothers, fathers, veterans— People who have lived life a little and took a quote-unquote roundabout way to higher education. Huh. Yeah. Also, according to data, students who get Pell Grants are more likely to be people of color and are more likely to be living in poverty. So it's a resource to many black and brown students across the country, just like me and just like Tanya Gardner. When I talk about Pell Grants saving our lives, I am not understating this. We went from basically just living in this shed to then really seeing a future that we could get out of this this financial situation. Tanya is one of six siblings, a New Orleans native who now lives in Philly. (laughs) Tanya just got her doctorate from Howard in spring of 2022. Go Tanya, H-U. Right? Wow. Right. And get this, Tanya, her mother, and her sister all went to Orange County Community College in New York together on Pell Grants back in 1987. Wow. 
The Pell was created in 1972, and the grants became active starting in 1973, which was the year I graduated. So for people who graduated in 73, Pell wasn't an option. Timing is everything. But I do remember at the time of its creation, classes behind us were really hopeful that it would actually happen soon. At the same time their families were hoping that the Pell would actually become a reality, the grant was being contested by many institutions and, frankly, some politicians. Now, the schools disliked having the power of distribution removed from them. And some politicians objected to the fact that the Pell was a grant, not a loan. They thought the government was going to spoil poor students with what they called free money. Yeah, there was some grade A political dramatics getting the Pell passed. The nerve. The Pell Grant's named after the former Rhode Island Senator Claiborne Pell. Here he is back in 1972. I am delighted to report that the House-Senate conferees have reached agreement on a higher education bill after some 10 weeks of very tough negotiations. I am particularly proud of this omnibus higher education bill. It includes my own proposal for direct federal grants to youngsters who wish to continue their education after high school. Y'all... I don't think the senator would have qualified for the grant this name for him because he sounds like money. And in fact, he did come from very old New England money. Just how old was his old money, KGB? Oh, Gene, let's say his family received a land grant from King George III in the 1700s. But (laughs) I digress. Yeah, actually, the, the Pell land grant covered what is now most of Westchester County. So, you know. <laughs> so that explains that, like, mid-Atlantic <laughs> accent. What is, is, that, is that what it's called? Atlantic seaboard accent, yes. He's, it's like Cary Grant. I don't know. I um, just think of Thurston Howell III from Gilligan's Island. Yes, lobby. <laughs> yes. But the idea behind Senator Pell's grant was that the student would get that money, as you said, mm-hmm. and make their own decisions about how to spend it at the school they were attending according to their needs. Exactly. Now... All of my Pell Grants went towards my tuition. Like I said, it was not cheap. But I know people who use that money on other living expenses, like a laptop, rent, or flights home for the holidays. Things a lot of schools don't always include in their financial aid packages. Cecilia Orphan lives in Denver, Colorado, and she was a first-generation college student in the early 2000s. She went from working 50 hours a week during school to half that when she qualified for the maximum Pell Grant at Portland State in Oregon in 2003. It's definitely true that once... I qualified for maximum Pell and it covered most of my tuition and I was able to work less. It certainly improved my grade point average. Bob Obrada graduated in the late 80s from the University of St. Francis in Illinois, and he's now spent 30 years working for the Tennessee College Access and Success Network to make higher education more accessible across the state. So I went to school on a Pell Grant and um, my brother went to school on a Pell Grant. So if it wasn't for a Pell Grant, I wouldn't have a bachelor's degree. I wouldn't have a master's degree. Uh, my brother wouldn't have a bachelor's degree. So uh, we, uh, you know, it's been life-changing. It's been life-changing for us. Yeah, so for many people, the Pell Grant was a true game-changer. Yeah, and while Senator Pell sponsored the bill that made these grants a government program, there was someone else pushing from behind the scenes. Who was that, Taylor? Big surprise, there was a woman helping pave the way for the Pell Grant. Of course there was. Lois Dixon Rice, a black woman deeply invested in education. She was the daughter of Jamaican immigrants. Her dad was a janitor. Her mom was a maid. They sent her to Radcliffe, which is now part of Harvard. 
Lois was an anomaly for her time. There were just a few, just a scant few black folks at Radcliffe when she went. Also, she served as an executive member on many corporations' boards. Again, a rarity at the time, both because there weren't many women and there were not very many black people. And she had been vice president of the college board for almost 10 years when she helped bring Senator Pell's bill to life. So today on Code Switch, in honor of a half century of Pell Grants, we're going to introduce you to Lois Dixon Rice, who is often called the mother of the Pell Grant. Here she is at a higher education forum in 1979. Are there ways in which we might simplify and rationalize the student aid process to increase the chances of success of each of these initiatives? This also is a recurrent but unachieved goal. The notion of having a financial aid system which students and their parents can readily understand, and university officials can efficiently administer. You can practically feel her passion as she speaks. I mean, I'm fired up. I don't know about y'all. Jean, you said she's the mother of Pell, but get this, she's also the mother of Susan Rice. The current domestic policy advisor for President Biden, Susan Rice? That Susan Rice. And she was also the former ambassador to the United Nations and national security advisor under President Obama. Thanks, Taylor, for setting that up for us. Now, Lois Rice passed away in 2017, so we couldn't talk to her about her role in creating the Pell Grant. But I spoke with Susan Rice. So my brother and I are born in the mid-60s, and we grew up here in Washington, D.C., and we were conscious of how unusual it was to have a working mom who is a full-time professional. You know, when I was 8, 9, 10, this was when all this was happening, and she was getting the Pell Grant established. Mm -hmm. And as we grew up, we were very conscious of the fact that her role in establishing the Pell Grant was historic um, and something that she was deeply proud of and that we were, as as we grew up, became, you know, understood enough to be proud of uh, her for doing. As the ambassador pointed out, she was pretty young when her mother was doing this work, so she wasn't aware of all the minute details on how the Pell came to be. But she's always been aware of her mother's role in creating the grant. Many of my colleagues and friends, you know, whether colleagues in government, friends I went to graduate school with, you know, all kinds of people, and not just people of color, people of all backgrounds, low-middle-income families who, as you said, It was the difference between them being where they are today and where they might otherwise have been. Can we talk a bit about your mom's background and how her background affected what she chose to do, maybe how she chose to move through life? So my mom was born in Portland, Maine uh, in 1933. So she was, what, one of three Black people in Portland, Maine? Exactly. Uh, She was the daughter of immigrants who came from Jamaica uh, in 1912. My grandmother and grandfather had never completed high school. My grandfather was a janitor, worked as a janitor until he was 80 years old. My grandmother was a housekeeper and a maid. And they came to the United States like so many immigrants uh, with the hope of being able to, uh, one, get married here and two, have a family and give their children a first rate education and the opportunity to go as far as their God-given talents would take them. And they had five children. My grandfather and grandmother um, saved and scraped and, um, you know, did everything they could and sent all five of their kids to college. My mom, the baby, the only girl who was, you know, 10 years younger than her youngest sibling, 
came along and went to Portland High School where all of her brothers had gone. She was valedictorian of her high school class. Again, one of a handful of, uh, of people of color. She was a national debate champion. I think president of her student body as well. Went on to Radcliffe College, now obviously part of Harvard. And she was one of three Black girls in her class of 1954. That can be lonely. And she was, what, first-generation college with immigrant parents, different from your typical Radcliffe profile back then, which was mostly really well-off white girls. Some of that drive must have been passed on to you and your brother, right? So very much a, a theme of our upbringing. We were raised to, you know, one, value education above everything and to do our very best in academia and beyond, we had an obligation to give back that you don't just pocket that and move on. And so in different ways, my brother's career is, you know, is really a continuation of all that my mother did in in some respects. Um, And I've tried to, you know, do what I can in public service as well. You wrote a memoir, Tough Love, My Story of the Things Worth Fighting For. In doing the research for your book. Did you find any surprising info about your mom? You know, when I wrote my memoir, I wanted to know, you know, how many students have actually benefited, how many American students have benefited from the Pell Grant? And what I discovered was that the Department of Education didn't know the answer to that. They didn't keep records? They didn't have, they knew how many grants had been given, but they couldn't tell how many unique individuals had received those grants. Hmm. And I pushed on the edge. This is I'm a private citizen and this is the Trump years. Right. So they're not trying to answer my questions necessarily. Uh We pressed on them and they did some research and they came back and they said their best estimate of the unique individuals who had received the Bog grant and or the Pell grant was 80 million. And I was able to say, write in my book, you know, 80 million Americans have benefited from the work that my mom did. That's huge. Coming up after the break, y'all, we'll hear more about Lois Rice and the impact of the Pell Grant. My mom used to say, only half-jokingly, when looking back on her life and all that she was able to contribute, you know, she used to say, not bad, poor, poor colored girl from Portland, Maine. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Using insights, you can improve your website by learning where your site visits and sales come from, while also analyzing which channels are most effective. Continue to grow your business and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Go to squarespace.com slash NPR for a free trial and use the offer code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This message comes from NPR sponsor FrameBridge. From art prints and posters to the photos sitting on your phone, FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, the FrameBridge prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Get started today. Go to FrameBridge.com and use promo code CODESWITCH to save an additional 15% off your first order. Gene. Karen. Code Switch. Before the break, we were talking about Lois Dixon Rice, who was the mother of the Pell Grant. So, KGB, let's turn it over to your conversation with her daughter, Susan Rice. 
Your mother actually was instrumental in putting together this thing that became the mechanism for allowing low and moderate income students to attend college or at least have the possibility of attending college. Why didn't I know who Lois Rice was until now? And how do you feel about that? Well, you know, honestly, I feel like increasingly she's certainly gotten her due. Maybe I'm too much a creature of Washington, and I understand that you know, the, the senators who put their names on the piece of legislation are the ones for whom it will always be remembered. Uh, and maybe I'm enough of my mother's daughter to mm-hmm. you know, not be so concerned about you know who gets the glory, but having the satisfaction of knowing you got it done uh, and what the impact was. So I, I feel, and I'm sure she would feel fine. Um, she'd be happy for Senator Pell's name to, to be the one associated with it as well deserved. I mean, he really did make it happen. And his grandson, Clay Pell, mm-hmm. who is, you know, somebody I've gotten to know well, and actually initially through my mom, who like many people, my mom was a collector of people. Uh, she took people under her wings of all stripes, you know, from the security guard at her neighborhood bank to the most sort of prominent of people. And she didn't really care. And she, if, she, if she adopted you, then you were uh, permanently in her orbit. And she, she adopted Clay, Senator Pell's grandson. Mm-hmm. Uh, many years ago, and they became close. I got to know Clay through my mom, and um, we sort of worked in adjacent capacity since. But he has been also one of the people who has really drawn attention to my mother's role in helping to establish the Pell Grant and saying very generously in interviews and in articles and in speeches and in her in her obituary and elsewhere that it wouldn't have happened without her. Can you talk more about the specific role she played in forming the grant and how much, um, I guess, politicking and persuading she had to invest in getting this done? I'm not sure I can give you chapter and verse on the on the mechanics of it because we were pretty young at the time. Sure. But what I was very conscious of was what was the breakthrough concept of the Pell Grant, Mm -hmm. that the money followed the student as opposed to went to the institutions. And what it did, as you said, uh, Karen, at the outset, it it gave individuals the opportunity to determine their own destiny. If I wanted to go here rather than there, it wasn't going to be for lack of institutional support that I was unable to go because here all of a sudden was something I could carry with me, you know, to wherever it is I chose to attend college. Mm -hmm. And what I was most familiar with is just the amount of time that she spent talking to, persuading, cajoling members of Congress and senators. And I guess, you know, back in the day, it was what it would be now. It's called lobbying, but I didn't understand it as such at the time. And I didn't associate it with uh, any kind of you know, negative connotations because she was pressing for the right thing for the right reason. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she represented the college board in Washington. That was her job. Today, a student can get almost $7,000 for the entire school year from a Pell Grant. But the average cost of tuition is a lot, like in tens of thousands. And that's not just for private colleges. It's also true for public universities and community colleges. Everybody's charging more. So as part of your job as a domestic policy advisor, do you think you're carrying on the work your mother started? The irony of history is now I get to be responsible for the policy work around this area of support for accessibility and opportunity in higher education 
in the same realm that, that my mother worked mm -hmm. so hard in. So I kind of feel like I, I'm here to, by some stroke of fate, to, to help preserve the benefits of this program for as many people as possible. I think the reality is now, Karen, that you know, when once uh, the Pell Grant covered some average of 80% of the cost of, uh, of a four-year college, it's now down to 30%. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, the value uh, is, is much reduced in relative terms. And that's something the president's long been mindful of, and President Biden vowed during the campaign to try to change. He pledged during the campaign to work to try to double the size of the maximum Pell Grant. And that's reflected in his 2023 budget request. Mm -hmm. And indeed, in the FY22 enacted budget, we were able to achieve a $400 increase in the maximum Pell Grant up to a total of $6,895. We basically, our aim is to double it to close to 13000 over the course of a two-term presidency. And what it means already is that, you know, with that $400 increase, an additional 72,000 new recipients are going to be eligible to benefit from this. Um, and, you know, students will see more money in their, their pockets. The other thing we're doing is, you know, Congress has an interest that we support in making um, Pell Grants applicable, not only obviously to community colleges, which they are already, in addition to four-year colleges, but also to shorter-term skills programs. So the short-term Pell, as they call it, uh, which is under consideration in Congress, is something of significance. The other thing is that in the president's um, original Build Back Better legislation, which passed the House, obviously in a different context in the Senate, with a $1,500 uh, increase in the Pell Grant program in there. So this is something that the president has been committed to and is looking at every opportunity to, to make real headway on because he understands how important uh, the Pell Grant is to so many and, and how its value in relative terms has diminished over time and how it's uh, a critical vehicle for increasing accessibility and affordability of higher education. Well, I never met your mom, and I know she's not physically here, but somehow the mental vision I have is her leaning back in her chair going, this is so excellent. I'm really very pleased with you, Susan. I'm so proud of my mom and uh, so proud of her role in helping to establish a Pell Grant, so I'm delighted to talk about it. My mom uh, used to say, only half-jokingly, when looking back on her life and, you know, what she was able to do and the, all that she was able to contribute. You know, she used to say, not bad for a poor colored girl from Portland, Maine. And because of that, using your air quotes here, Jean, poor colored girl from Portland, Maine, millions of people got help with an education they might not otherwise have been able to afford. So happy 50th birthday to the Pell Grant. And thank you, Lois Dixon Rice. I needed that money. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Taylor Jennings Brown, for bringing us this little slice of history. And that, that's our show, y'all. You can follow us on IG and Twitter at NPR Code Switch. I'm on Twitter at GEDEE215. KGB is at Karen Bates, all one word. And if email is more your bag, 
Ours is CodeSwitch at NPR.org. Oh, and subscribe to the podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find our newsletter at NPR.org slash newsletters. This episode was produced by Alyssa Jong Perry and Taylor Jennings Brown. It was edited by Steve Drummond and Christina Kala. And we must shout out the rest of the Code Switch Massive. Jess Kung, Deepa Motasham, Summer Tamad, Leah Danella, and Dahlia Mortada. I'm Gene Demby. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. Be easy, y'all. See ya. We just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Code Switch Plus listeners. We appreciate y'all. And we thank you for being subscribers. So subscribing to Code Switch Plus means you get to listen to all of our episodes without any sponsor breaks, and it also helps support our show. So if you love Code Switch, please consider signing up at plus.npr.org slash codeswitch.